And so I think for me, it's keeping that mindset of never assuming that everybody knows anything. Um, and so always going back and knowing that what you bring to the table is special, is amazing because not everybody's doing it and that we all have to look at ourselves as every one of us brings value to this. And so don't ever think that you're not. No time, no tools, big expectations. How do you transform school culture without derailing the train? Answer, little wins that bring big changes. The flywheel effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself. Hello and welcome. I am Jordan Pruitt and this is The Flywheel Effect, a show dedicated to share the little wins that could have a big impact on your school culture. Today I'm joined by Todd Nesloni, aka Tech Ninja Todd, who is Director of Culture and Strategic Leadership for the Texas Elementary Principals and Supervisors Association. He's also an accomplished author and a sought-aft public speaker. You may know him from his contributions to the Get Your Teach On Network. Uh, Todd, You've been super busy. Thank you for coming on with us, man. Um, I, I really do appreciate it. Really appreciate you making time. Um, tell everybody what you've been up to, and if, if, if somebody doesn't know you, what, what should they know about you? <laughs> hey, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and kind of chat today. Um, I think you did a really good job. Um, you know, I've been an instructional aide. I've been a teacher, a principal. Now I get to be the director over at TEPSA. Um, written a couple books that I'm really proud of um, and love the work that I get to do with Teach On and Lead On as well. So got my hands in a little bit of everything, um, but I like to stay busy. And so that's the thing. Very cool. Uh, the, the one I'm familiar with, um, you were co-author on Kids Deserve It, correct? Yes, sir. So um, what what kind of inspired that process? Just not doing you know, when it there, but that, that one, that one interesting. It. Yeah, well, when it came to Kids Deserve It, you know, that was my first book. And uh, my publisher, Dave Burgess, had been asking me to write a book for years. And I just kept putting him off telling him, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about. Like, this is too overwhelming for me. I don't know how to blog. That's about it. <laughs> and so um, he kept encouraging and encouraging me. And then when I was at the National uh, Elementary Principal Conference, I met my co-author. We uh, wrote a couple things together blogging. We were like, hey, we kind of write good together. And I was like, well, maybe I could write a book with someone who has some of the same ideas as me. And so that's kind of where it was born from just a conversation about eliminating excuses and why don't more people work on that instead of making the excuses. And from there, kids deserve it was born and took off way crazier than I ever could have expected. My goal was like 20 copies in the first year. And so we outdid that just a little bit. So it's been exciting to kind of watch that process. And it's opened so many doors for me and just allowed me to share pieces of myself with others in ways that I never would have imagined. Very cool. So I always, uh, I always lead with a question similar to this one because it's, I mean, you, you're an accomplished author. You're, you're touring around the country talking to folks. You're working at state organizations. I always like to do, like to ask this question because it kind of grounds the conversation with like anybody that could be listening who is, has anything to do with education um, because like nobody starts there. You know what I mean? So what was your very first job in education? Uh, well, you know, I, I was in high school and I was in a program my junior and senior year called Ready, Set, Teach. My high school in Texas was one of only two high schools in the state to offer this program. Um, and it was for people who thought they were going to be teachers. Um, and they got to kind of try out some of it ahead of college instead of jumping right into college and realizing it wasn't for you. 
Um, and so in that process, I realized that, yeah, teaching is totally my vibe. It's definitely what I want to do. And when I graduated high school, my, my district that I was in said, hey, we have this program that we're starting called Grow Your Own, where we want to hire you as an instructional aide while you attend college in hopes that when you graduate, you'll apply here and we can hire you and keep our own people within our district. And so I spent the first four years of college working 20 to 30 hours a week at a local elementary school in my town. Um, And so that experience was the best experience for me, just being able to get in so many different classrooms over those four years, learn all kinds of things before I ever had my own environment. Um, And so I really attribute a lot of my success as a beginning teacher to those formative years getting spent instead of just a semester on a campus, getting to spend four years at one. Oh, that's incredible. In a, in a time when like, there's a lot of places that are having teacher shortages and shortage with inst- instructional folks and, and parents and everything. I hope folks are taking notes because that was two good programs you just mentioned that can attract folks to their districts and be able to keep some, some, some talented folks in, in house there. Um, I like, I like, I always like talking about that because um, you just never know how everybody starts their path a different way. That's really interesting. Um, how did you get the name Tech Ninja Todd? You know, I was on Facebook when Facebook was still just for college kids. Um, so I've been on it since the inception. And when Twitter came about, I kind of, I wasn't really into it. I had a Twitter account because everybody was making one and I followed some celebrities. Like that's all I used it for. Um, and my assistant superintendent at the time was like, hey, you need to be on social media sharing the great things that you're doing. And I was like, well, I share with my people at my school. Like, why do I need to tell anybody else? Like, it's not that good as some of the other people out there. The same excuse that we all make that we're, our stuff isn't as good as others when we, in reality, that's not true at all. Our stuff is. Um, and so he's like, nope, I'm not giving you an option. You're going to create a presence and you're going to start sharing the great things that are happening in our district at your campus in your classroom. Um, so my, uh, curriculum, my, uh, goodness, technology teacher on campus, her and I were really good friends. And so I said, well, come on this journey with me. And she said, okay, let's do it. And I said, well, we need a name. And so at the time there was a third uh, person on campus who we were close with. And so we were like, well, why don't we all like come up with a similar name? So, you know, we'll be like the three tech ninjas because we love technology in the classroom. And so I'll be tech ninja Todd, you be tech ninja Stacy. And then we've got our third and, and then we can do this whole, like the three tech ninjas are coming to present and stuff like that. And so um, that's kind of where it was born. Just my love of using technology in the classroom. Um, not that I can fix your computer. That's not my vibe, but I can show you some great tools. So. Wow, that's that, that's a pretty cool story. The um, I, I use social media for so much stuff now. Like I, I did the social media for live school, and that I hadn't really thought about like what was my first like account. My first account, the reason I had it was um, I'm from Kentucky, was because we hired a, we hired John Calipari, and he had a Twitter account. He was going to post stuff about the basketball team, so I downloaded Twitter to follow John Calipari. That was the reason I did that originally. I love it. Um, <laughs> and now it's it's a big chunk of my job now but exactly um, i want to circle i want to circle back to um like, like something came back to me about the program you were talking about the get set get, is it get ready teach or get set teach ready set teach um was the program ready, that set, i was in teach. high school so I, I i taught in and was an administrator at an academy school i don't know if you're familiar with the academy model schools are you so they uh basically it's, it's high schools and you go through a freshman academy, and then you get to choose one to five, depending on how the school's set up, of like 
uh, and ours was, it was like a professional type job. So it was, it was things that were like entrepreneurship, uh, legal, and then there was a, a teaching and learning pathway in it too. So like all your classes are supposed to be connected to the career path. You, you, you're thinking about going down as like a sophomore, but one of those was teaching and learning. And it's similar to what you were talking about with that program, which um, your program predates this one quite by a little while, but I like that idea because the kids, they would part of their, their like work in school and their content was going observing teachers teach and not really being all that concerned with I'm sitting in this science class, like, like really taking notes on like, why are they doing the, the way they're doing it? Do you know what I mean? Um, and th- I just think those are really good ideas because if we can get more folks trying it out early, you have more folks who are interested and they can kind of see kind of the good things about it. Well, you know, and you make a great point that when, when we, we learn the most when we see successful people in action. And so being able to get in there and learn from people who are doing it every day, um, that that's so powerful. Yeah. And I want to, and on the, you said there was, there was three of you that were tech ninja and then their name, was there any inspiration from, and I don't know, this may be an obscure reference for the folks that are, who are listening, but I think we're about the same age. So you may, you may, there was like in the nineties, this series of movies about like three ninjas, these kids that were ninjas. <laughs> yes. Like a ripoff of the karate kid kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Was there any, any, any inspiration from that? <laughs> no, not at all. It's so funny you bring that up, but nope. It was just, we needed a creative name. We wanted something that would be catchy and, and simple. And so, and something that nobody else had already. Cause you know, so many people have all of the names. So that is, that is a, a series of movies. I didn't think I would ever reference on this podcast. Right. Right. We had a, a three ninja reference, but um, <laughs> I always like to take a step back with everybody that comes on. And, you know, give them a chance, a little bit of a soapbox, if they want to call it that or not, but a big picture type question. So you get to write one wrong in education. What, do, what are you going after? Um, you know, I would say oh, it's so hard for me to think about just like one. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is thinking about two of the things that bother me the most are homework and lesson plans for experienced teachers. Like I feel like those two and, and – especially homework in elementary, like that bothers me so much when people assign that because there's so much research that talks about the value of homework in elementary. There is none. Um, but we just eliminate so much of the home life because of that. So I I'm with you on the homework thing. I didn't, I mean, I was a high school teacher, but I was, I don't know if I think I was ever anti homework, but I just, I never really saw a need to assign it. I, I got, well, I got I do, I've spent a lot of time talking to families and things like that. And when, when you ask families, what is their number one thing they don't like about school? What they immediately say is homework because it takes away from our home time. They've already spent seven or eight hours learning during the day. And you're going to want them to learn even more at home on a subject they're probably frustrated about. That's only going to cause anxiety and animosity in my house. Like all these things. It's like, no, this is not what we want to be doing. It's not how you build a love of education. Well, I have little ones and you do have little ones too, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. How, how old are your kids, Todd? 15 months. Oh, 15 months. I thought you had, do you, have, do you don't have, I thought you have an older one in elementary. No. Oh Lord. No, no. We got twin boys. They're 15 months oh, old. Okay. They ain't in school yet. So we don't have to worry about that yet, gotcha. but I, I am ready for the fight when it comes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I've got two and, and one is a little bit older than yours. Uh, she just turned two, but uh, the other one is a first grader and 
that's about the time where they start getting all the activities. So like soccer and she's, uh, she's soccer dance and all the things. So like our day, like she ends her school day and then, um, we go pick her up and then it's off to a practice and then it's home, like rusted dinner. And then everybody's got to get, get ready for bed. Everybody's get changed in pajamas and all this stuff. And like, we just kind of got to find time for the homework somewhere in there. You know what I mean? So I, I get where they where they're coming from for sure. Um, and it's one of those things you don't really think about a lot until you're going through like that kind of schedule. Like there's not a lot of time in the evenings. Yep, exactly. And, and I think as educators, sometimes we get so caught up in trying to make them be good achievers and get the scores we need and get them to master the materials that we forget that they're kids. Like they have lives too. And that's why we have them at school. Then let them go home. You don't want to do work when you go home, even though sometimes we have to, but why are we making kids do that? Totally agree. Now you, you also mentioned um, lesson plans. I was pretty, uh, pretty blessed as far as the folks I worked for. Um, I felt like I got treated like a professional, probably more than a lot of folks have. Um, Tell me about what you mean by that. Well, you know, I think there is a time and place for lesson plans with some teachers um, who really need to show that they have the organization down and they have a plan for the lesson. Um, But I feel like, For me, as the principal, when I would get to know some of my teachers and and really realize, like, this person is amazing. They know their content in and out. They've been in this grade level for, like, five years now. They have great success. I want them to pour as much time and energy into making those lessons as awesome as possible. And if I'm taking that experienced, successful teacher and forcing them to take hours to write down every step of their plan when they don't even need that, then I'm taking away from them making a better lesson. And so it's kind of like I'm robbing Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. And so for me, it's like if they're successful and if they have their act together and if they know their content, why do a lesson plan? If they have most districts, especially the one that I worked in, we had a curriculum map. So I knew what they were supposed to be teaching and when based on the curriculum map. I could go in and observe that at any time. I didn't need a lesson plan to do that because they're really creative teachers who can write a lesson plan and not adhere to it at all just because they're trying to write a lesson plan to turn something in. So I think, you know, you, you got to find the balance. And so I'm not saying nobody should do lesson plans because I've had teachers that I was like, no, I need you to do a lesson plan and tell me exactly what you're doing and how it aligns so that I can have all that documentation. Like I need you to do that because this organizes you. But I think it's knowing your people and remembering just like with kids, one size doesn't fit all. And I, I believe that one expectation doesn't fit all. So I'm, I'm with you on, on that for sure. The, um, what, and one of the things I think is kind of a hallmark of like a really good teacher is a lot of times they they know when to change the plan. And you know what I mean? So like, and then you, they almost, if you've got to turn in every step you do, you almost end up penalizing yourself for, for doing a good job and knowing when to, when to adjust. You know what I mean? Well, and then it's frustrating. Like I was the kind of teacher where I turn in my lesson plans, but I would manipulate on the fly. And then I get so frustrated when I'm like, I spent all that time on this freaking lesson plan and I had to change it. And now I'm doing all this other stuff that the kids need. And that lesson plan doesn't even matter anymore. Like, why did I waste all the time on that? Like, that's where I often found myself as a teacher. Hey guys, this is Jordan from Live School. And I want to take a quick break to share a story about one of our partner schools, Maranatha Christian Schools in San Diego, California. Principal Kelly Rodriguez was asked a simple question by a parent. How are we teaching kindness to our students? Well, she thought, surely we are. 
Of course we are, aren't we? She realized it, even if it was happening, it wasn't happening in a codified way, and she set out to change that. She set on a house system in the hopes that she could instill empathy and kindness in her students by strengthening the community and camaraderie of her school. And the results have been astounding. Not only has it taught kindness, but across the building and throughout those tough middle school years, House Points has helped Kelly and her team weave camaraderie in the very fabric of the school. If you'd like to improve student behavior and culture in your school, check us out at wildlifeschool.com. Um, you've mentioned principalship a few times, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about uh, your first principalship a little bit. Um, I love to learn how a leader goes about transforming a school. Um, we, we just got the chance to talk to um, uh, Broody um, Caffelli, and he, he was a turnaround principal. It, that was a really cool conversation. And I read a little bit about your first job, and it sounds like it was a, a little bit similar, a different setting. C- can you elaborate a little bit? So I was definitely um, thrown into the fire very quickly. Um, I was a teacher who got my master's degree and my principal certification with no intention to use it at all. I loved being in the classroom. I didn't want to be a principal. I just wanted to have a master's to be the first person in my family with a master's. And so when I was on social media doing all the sharing, all the stuff we were doing, I had a local district reach out to me and say, hey, we love the work you're doing. We're looking for a principal. Would you be interested? And I was like, no, like I love where I'm at, not interested. And so then they reached out about a week or two later and was like, okay, we just want to reach out again just to make sure like you'd get to hire your entire staff. This is a school starting over from scratch. And I was like, well, we can chat. Like that's always a dream to build your own school. So I went and met with them and I was like, I kind of like the vibe, what your ideas about education are. They align with mine. We can be really creative with this. So I said, sure, let's do it. I did the interview process, got selected, went before the board, all that kind of stuff. And then I became the principal of a fourth and fifth grade campus called Navasota Intermediate um, in Navasota. Um, and it was tough. Um, I will say, I kind of describe it like a rose. There's all these beautiful parts, but there's a lot of thorns as well that you don't expect when you start a school as a turnaround school from the ground up. Um, Because nobody even knew, like, what have we done before with announcements? Or where's the fire alarms? Or, like, nobody knew anything. We were all new. And so it was all this stuff we were trying to figure out together. Uh, But it was a good year, and, and I learned a lot. Um, I learned that there are a lot of things that I was going to have to do differently within myself and lead differently. So I really was able to grow myself a lot. And then the district saw what the work that we did our first year and was really proud of it. And they said, well, we've got an elementary here in town that we're restructuring and it's got about three times the amount of kids. We want to put you over there with your team and y'all do such a good job over there like you did at the intermediate. And so I said, well, okay let's try it. And so I spent the next four years there and loved it. And it was a lot of work. I mean, there was no curriculum in place. There was no plans in place. Like there's, it was building the ground up of everything within the district. Um, but I loved it because I love a challenge. Um, culture building, I feel like is one of my, my strengths is pouring into others. And so I loved being able to attract people from all over the United States to come work at this tiny little town in Navasota. Um, and, and just kind of the things we got to do. And so it's a job that was a hundred times harder than I ever anticipated, but I loved going into work every day. So I I was a part of a, a a staff that was a a brand new school. Like we opened a high school and like the, the things you take for granted on a place that's been established is all sorts of little things you get to do. You got to make so many decisions. Even if you're like, 
just like a, a lead teacher or, or like, you know, not even the principal of the school, but uh, a couple follow-up questions on the, on that, the situation. Cause I think that's a unique situation. Um, when you say it was like, like basically they restarted, like how, how many staff are you hiring? Like what, 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 what is, what goes into that? Yeah, so I had to hire my assistant principal all the way down to the custodians, um, and I hired about 70 staff members in a matter of four months. So I was doing a lot of interviewing, and this was still while I was teaching. So I got hired um, as principal for the fall, but I got hired in February or March so that I would have the rest of the school year to start interviewing, things like that. So I was teaching all day. And then driving over to the local community to do interviews all evening um, and then doing them all day Saturday to try to get all these interviews in. So that way, because I wasn't going to leave my kids, like I, I was going to finish the year out with them before I went anywhere else. And so it was definitely a balancing act those couple months. I hadn't even thought about that part in years. So it's funny you're making me reflect on that. But yeah, that was hard to end the year out like that. Um and so it was, but it was, it was so much fun and so exciting to be doing something like that. But, um, I definitely would not recommend it for others. I definitely say if you're going to jump into administration, go to a campus that has their act together, um, or a campus that already has started so that you can jump into some procedures already. Um, because even though it was fun and a challenge, <laughs> I don't know that I'd do it again I, that way. I'd probably <laughs> just look at about a little bit of a different entry point. Yeah. Well, you learn so much in such a short amount of time. Like in, I don't blame it. You go through it and you're like, I don't think I could do the same thing twice, but it, going through it, you get, you learn all the things you need. Um, what are, what that process reminds me of. I was a, I was a coach for a long time too, before I was an administrator. So I was a teacher and a coach. So I've got a lot of friends who are coaches and that, that spring of like, they've just taken a job somewhere else, but they're, they're still like teaching where they are. And then they drive in the afternoons to like, meet the kids at the new school and hire the new staff. That is rough. That is a rough process. So I, I, I've, I've not done that exact thing, but I just, a lot of friends that have, and like, it's, it's like, that's, that becomes like their whole cycle is I start here and I finish there every day. So, yep. um, <laughs> but <clears throat> kind of still hectic for you. Like I, I follow you on social media and you're, you're everywhere all over this all summer uh, with the get your teacher on folks. How is like your travels with them? Has it changed your outlook on education? Cause a lot of times we can kind of be, I, I, and we, this, the term siloed comes up a lot and I don't really mean that in a negative way at all. Just like we get used to like where we are, you know what I mean? And it's a little different everywhere, but like you've now got this big picture cause you've been all over the place. Um, has it changed or no? You know, I think that's a great question. And I guess what I would say to that is I've been able to really see the amazing things that are happening in so many schools. And that's probably been the most exciting part for me is I get to work with so many variety of educators and leaders from across the country that I'm just blown away that I'm like, whoa, y'all created that or y'all did that. or This is amazing. Like, how do people not know about this? And then I get to use my platform to like amplify them in their work because it's brilliant. Um, but at the same time, it's like what you said, you know, we get into our modes and our people and our circles and we begin this mindset that everybody's doing that. And what the reality is, is it's not true. Um, like when you're active on social media, you're thinking everybody's on social media. So they've all seen all this stuff. Well, it's not true. Like I still meet educators who have never heard of Kahoot. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like everybody and their mom talks about Kahoot. Like, how have you not heard about this? 
But if they're not going to trainings, if they're not on social media, if they're just in their classroom doing their thing, then they don't know stuff. Um, And that doesn't make them a worse teacher, but it means they've missed opportunities to be even better than they were. And so I think for me, it's keeping that mindset of never assuming that everybody knows anything. Um, And so always going back and knowing that what you bring to the table is special is amazing because not everybody's doing it and that we all have to look at ourselves as every one of us brings value to this. And so don't ever think that you're not. So if the, the fun part though, if they haven't heard of Kahoot, that means they also don't know that they need to monitor the students' names on Kahoot. Exactly. <laughs> so your, your, first in, your first entry into that, that, that's always the first thing that comes out is oh, I should probably monitor what they put names they put on the screen. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we talked a lot about leadership um how can a campus leader maximize their impact like if if they want to do the most good on where they are and or, or above what, what would they do you know i think the best way that a leader can maximize their impact is by making sure they're pouring into those around them um checking in on people letting them know how valuable and worthy they are i think sometimes as leaders we are very inundated with needs and issues and problems and we spend so much time on that that we lose sight of the human side of the work that we do and so whether that means putting reminders in my calendar having people around me who remind me having things that I set in place that I do every single day um, those are important so like for me every single day as soon as I got to work I grabbed three sticky notes and I went and put three sticky notes in a box or on a door or on a desk telling somebody how amazing they are Um, and I was making phone calls and sending postcards and like all these simplistic things that don't cost money just to remind people that I see the work that you're doing and I'm so stinking thankful that you're here with us Um, because that can really go a long way. When you think about people who leave um, schools, it's usually because of the environment or the person they're working under and just not feeling valued, not feeling heard um, and not feeling like you are somebody who's important to them. Um, And so I think when you're going to, if you're going to be a powerful leader, you've got to know that and you've got to know how to serve. You have to know how to get on your hands and knees to serve the people around you um, and that you're willing to get your hands dirty in any kind of work. So the, the sticky note thing is that that costs you almost nothing and people remember you doing that. No. And it's so easy. Yeah. People remember you doing that. I was a, um, I, I was a PBIS coach at my school and we had a, a district representative who would come to the meetings and, and listen to us talk about data and plan rewards and, and all the things and, Ever, she would leave me like sticky notes, like like she would pick out something that was might have been obscure in the meeting, and like it would just be a little sticky note about like how, how impressed she was about about this or that. Um, and it wasn't even things we made a big deal about, but like it just showed you she was paying attention and she cared about what was happening. Um, and it, it just I remember that I, just because you brought that up, I remember that was probably five years ago. She did that. I just I still remember. <laughs> <laughs> See exactly, it's those things that make a difference. Well, uh, Todd, how can folks find you, um, all your socials, uh, what, what are you working on going forward? Anything you want to plug? Now's the time. Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm really proud of my latest book that has come out. Um, that one's called In This Season. It's my first book that's not for educators. Um, it's meant for anybody who's looking for some hope, some reminders. Um, I describe it as it's not a book meant to be read cover to cover. Um, I wrote it with three of my friends and a brilliant illustrator out of South Texas. Um, and it's a book that you pick up 
and you can just find a word that speaks to you, turn to that chapter, and you read that chapter in less than a minute. Just kind of like a devotional type book where you just find something that speaks to you, get a hope, a dose of hope, inspiration, see some artwork that goes with it, and start your day. Um, and so I, I'm so stinking proud of that. Um, also, I'm loving the work that I'm doing with Lead On um, and Get Your Teach On and just making sure that we continue to pour into educators and celebrate them and leaders from across the country. Um, we've got several regional events and then our national events in Dallas this next summer in 2023. So that's super pumped. I'm super pumped about that. And then, I mean, I just, I love pouring into people. So I'm still speaking all around. So um, I have people hire me all the time to come in and work with their school or work with their district or just do a keynote. And so I'm loving getting that opportunity just to spread a little dose of inspiration and hope to others. Well, we will have all that in the show notes and we thank you very much for, for giving us your time, Todd, today. And um, we will keep in touch, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. The flywheel effect, harnessing the power of momentum to create a school culture that celebrates change and drives itself.